You're listening to the Disney One by One podcast, a chronological look at every Disney animated classic and beyond. Here's your host, Mike Rolfing. Hello and welcome to Disney One by One. This week we're talking about the Aristocats from 1970. It's the 20th movie on the list. As always, you can check us out all over the internet at Disney1x1, and if you could leave us a rating or review on iTunes, we would love that, and we will read it here on the show. So today, with me, as always, is my brother David Rolfing. David, welcome back to Disney One by One. Hello, Mike. Thanks for having me back. And joining us today, a first-time special guest, my friend from all way back in high school, Connor Lewis. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here and uh, really excited to talk about one of my all-time favorite Disney movies. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> you can call me Mr. O'Malley from now on. Mr. O'Malley. Mike. Yes. You went to Disney World recently. I did. Tell us about it. I'm sure you have <laughs> it all memorized and written down every minute of the day um i can just i can do the brief version so we please please keep it brief <laughs> the goal the goal was to visit pandora at animal kingdom is pandora fully opened at this point oh yeah it's been open for a few years wow so they have two that just rides shows, that just shows you the cultural relevance of avatar yes precisely <laughs> well i will tell you what it is it's culturally relevant to someone because the the line to the flight of passage ride exceeded five hours while we were there. Wow. I heard Ooh. about that. That's where you actually feel like you're flying on one of the beings, the, the winged beans. Banshee. Yes. Banshee. So, that's right. We had a fast pass for it. So we waited a whole five to 10 minutes, which was fantastic. It was a very busy day. Um, but we rode both avatar rides. We rode everything else in animal kingdom. And then we hopped to Hollywood studios, got to ride the slinky dog roller coaster, which is brand new in toy story land. Y'all know I love Toy Story. Oh, for sure. And how many steps did you take on your Fitbit? Um, I haven't. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't crazy. It was like thirty something, forty something, maybe. I've done thousand. I've done, I've done better. Yeah, thousand. Wow. Yeah, it's a long day. <laughs> and then we hopped to Epcot, and we were able to get fast passes for the Frozen, the new Frozen Ever After boat ride. So we rode the three most popular rides at the three parks we went to on one of the busiest days of the year. So I, I say that I say mission accomplished to that. Now, what would you say is, was your, was your secret sauce for this trip? Um, the secret sauce is, you know, you can reserve Well, you, you have to, uh, the fast pass system they do now, you reserve ride times ahead of time, but you can only get three. But I found that if you sit and just refresh the app for like five or 10 minutes, what you want is bound to appear at some point. So even though like the frozen ride, it said it was exhausted for the rest of the day. I got on my app at like three o'clock in the afternoon and just refreshed for like 10 minutes and something popped up. So that's, that's, that's my biggest advice. There's always going to be a fast pass hack no matter what they do. <laughs> yeah. For so. those of you without jobs. <laughs> so it, it worked. It worked. It was fun. So anyway, Connor, let's talk about you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Well, I am an artist, and uh, I guess I would call myself a filmmaker at this point. Um, that's how Mike and I met originally. Um, I was uh, I was a wannabe Mike Rolfing back in the day, <laughs> um, and uh, ended up actually directing Mike and having him be my editor on uh, a film I just finished last year called Dirty Laundry. It's a documentary about asbestos. It features my cousin Zach and I as we go across the country by bicycle. 
riding 4,200 miles to uncover the true story about our grandmother's uh, sudden passing from a rare disease called mesothelioma, which mm-hmm. is caused by asbestos. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it a Disney fairy tale. <laughs> not, not quite. <laughs> uh, it's it's a little bit more of a um, of a I would say like kind of a family and medical drama documentary. Um, we went to some film festivals last year. Yeah, uh, it was super fun. Mike even came out actually in California. I did. I went to the one in San Luis Obispo, and then of course I ended up at Disneyland at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just in case you were wondering, of Mike's, uh, he is a card carrying Disney. Uh, Disney freak. So I don't know if what how, what you refer to yourself. Part of the the ear Mickey ears club. Yeah, I club. don't know. I okay. Don't know. Yeah. There is the D twenty three fan club, which I'm only a member of the free version of that. I have not paid to get into a higher yeah. level. I, I want to bring us back to to art class that we had together, and that was probably where we met. I think you you're right. That? Yeah, that, absolutely. In you high were, I was a freshman. You were a junior, senior, something like that. And we had to, uh, I think it might have been sophomore, senior, maybe. We had to create movie posters as one of our projects. You That's right. This? Yeah. <laughs> you remember what we did? Oh, no. Yeah, I do. I do. I, I, I remember it. Uh, my, my, I'm hesitating out of embarrassment, mostly. <laughs> um, yeah, we did uh, the some sort of uh, Christian-themed Two Towers and Return of the King with various like famous people in the in the parts yes that is okay um, which i will i will be more specific we turned the hobbit into the baptist like john oh, yeah. the baptist okay i didn't then, i didn't then, remember that then it was the fellowship of the king about the disciples <laughs> and then it was the two powers which was like jesus versus the devil and then of course the return of the king which you didn't have to uh, change yeah. the title of that one. so I remember seeing these, actually. Brilliant, brilliant work in, in our uh, private school art class. It's so. amazing anyone pays us to come up with ideas now. <laughs> I mean, truly, truly incredible we have, we have careers. Was that Digicom, like Photoshop class? No, it was hand-drawn. Yeah. Oh, wow. This was before computers. It was Jim Stangy's art class. Uh, yeah, that was that was actually so that I think that may have been like the first art class I ever took in high school, which is which is funny uh, because I think it was the only one, and it was with you. Hmm. And I ended up getting an art degree in college, yeah. and I still paint and draw and things like that. I call I still call myself an artist all these years after that. Yeah, I mean that class was like low level. It's like make a color wheel today. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Here I am. Uh, 15 years later, still making color wheels. So, Connor, let's get into your Disney life, your Disney history, if at all. Tell me tell me how Disney has influenced your life in one way or another. So, I, when I was a kid, um, I grew up going to uh, Southwest Michigan every summer um, in the summers. And if you've ever been to Southwest Michigan in the summer, um, especially where I'm from, St. Louis, Missouri, it's really humid, really hot. Um and Southwest Michigan is just delightful all summer. It's cool during the evenings and mornings. Mike knows this because his wife is from a similar area, very close by. So it was right west of Kalamazoo, Michigan. And uh, the tradition was every year we would go, there would be a new Disney movie out every summer. Uh, so like I have vivid memories of being a kid and going and seeing Lion King uh, mm-hmm. in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and then like going to Toys R Us after also a throwback, you know, doesn't exist anymore <laughs> and getting uh, like, a, you know, we get to get one treat from the film. 
So I have these really fond memories of that all growing up. So those movies that were really foundational for me that I saw coming out, I mean, that was like kind of a golden era, you know, the the early 90s. So like I probably started with being like a few years old, seeing Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, Pocahontas, Hunchback Notre Dame, Hercules, Mulan, Tarzan. I think at Tarzan, I topped out because I was probably, you know, getting a little bit too old. You're like but, Fantasia 2000. What's that? Yeah, no, no, we did not see that one. Uh, and so, you know, that was a really impactful time in my life. I remember that. And plus Toy Story had come out around, when was Toy Story? 98 or yeah, two, 98, five, 2000? Yeah, five, three, three, four, okay. five. Yeah. So, so yeah, every summer we'd have these amazing uh, Disney films come out, and they were like the the cornerstone of our trip to Michigan every year. So of of those, uh, have you been able to rank your top five? You know, when you asked me to think about this, I thought about this a lot, and I just became really difficult. Uh, <laughs> once I really once I looked at the list you sent me, I was just like, how does one choose? I think what I'm going to do is just list five that I really enjoy because I don't think there's any way I could actually rank these. So I would say these are like my all my my favorites and or dark horses. Okay. I'm going to put Aristocats at number one. And I'm, I'm not saying that just because I'm here to, to, wow. <laughs> to say Aristocats. Number and one the, as in like I love the best? That, I love the movie. It's, I'm not saying it's the best. I'm saying I love it. And uh, the, the uh, Jungle Book, of course. Uh, I love singing along to the uh, the song uh, with the uh, orangutans, and the <laughs> that's a favorite of mine. Uh, one that I think is uh, kind of underrated. I like Treasure Planet. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I love it. And then another one that I think is also underrated is I love Atlantis. Wow. And these are ones that came out when I was like a teenager. And I don't know why, but I've always loved those. Again, these aren't my top five, but I think, uh, what was the last one that I, oh, Robin Hood. I love Robin Hood. Those are five. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say like they're the most perfectly ranked five or even the best, but like those are, those are five films that I, I could watch right now and enjoy. And I enjoyed every minute of watching Aristocats, by the way. <laughs> so. Well, D- David's on the Treasure Planet boat with you. For sure. Yeah, that was in my top five. Do you remember also. the song in Treasure Planet? Uh, it was by uh, the Goo Goo Dolls, right? Is that the, the... Really? Yeah, there's a song by the Goo Goo Dolls in that. I'm pretty sure either that or... It's yeah, that sounds kind of familiar. John, John Resnick. It was, uh, it was one of their famous songs that he played acoustic. I have no idea what you're I'll talking come, about. I'll come back for Atlantis <laughs> in two years. Or, uh, I mean, Treasure Planet. Uh, Jim's theme... It's called I'm Still Here, written by the Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah. Yeah. See? You're right. Got, call, call me in two years when you get to that movie. It'll be sooner than that. It'll be sooner <laughs> than that. That one is slated for, when will that be? What are we talking about? Treasure Planet? Atlantis? Yeah. October? Treasure Planet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just October. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, come, I'll, I'll come be a special appearance guest. All right. Sounds good. Before we move on, a couple more iTunes reviews to read for you. First from P.W. Sack. What's Sack? I'm really enjoying the podcast. The sound clips are placed perfectly. The interaction between the commentators is fun. The nostalgia factor is high, which I love. It makes me want to watch these movies for the first time or again. Great job. Thank you for that. And from easy to pronounce. That is easy to pronounce. What a great show. The hosts and their guests evoke strong emotions and memories from the past with their lighthearted analysis and banter. I only hope they get past their list so they can get to analyze Pixar too. So do I. We're getting close. Getting close. Thanks so much for those iTunes reviews. Remember, if you write one, you'll hear it on the show right here. And if you haven't heard yours yet, it'll be read on a future show. 
And of course, you could also send us an email at Disney1x1 at gmail.com. With that, we'll move on to the Aristocats. And now, our feature presentation. The cats are on the run. Everybody out of here fast. But help is on the way. Charge! It's adventure. Surprises. Romance. But most of all, it's quiet. It's delightful Disney fun. So Aristocats, this movie came out in 1970. There's not a ton of history with this movie, at least compared to some of the other ones we've been through. It's based on a story by Harry Tittle and Tom McGowan, who Walt Disney commissioned to make some live-action, animal-based shorts for television. And those apparently never happened. But four or five years later, these short stories evolved into the Aristocats feature film. Walt liked it, and he approved it shortly before his death in 1966. This was his final approved film, the final movie he had his hands in, and it eventually was the follow-up to The Jungle Book. So it's directed by Wolfgang Riederman, who's directed a whole bunch of these. We've even talked about his sons have had have been voices in, in a couple of these movies as well. Was he the sword and the stone guy? Yeah, and his kid did the voice of King Arthur. And he did Robin Hood too, right? He's, he's, his name's been on pretty much all of them. Yeah, I'm looking at the list. It's quite an impressive resume. And aside from him, uh, George Bruns, George Bruns was back. <laughs> I should probably learn how to pronounce this guy's name to do the score. He scored quite a few of these. He will also be scoring Robin Hood, which is like my favorite. We'll get to that next week. Um, and this was the final movie f- that the Sherman brothers participated in. They very famous for their Disney songs, but this is the last uh, feature film they worked on, at least for a while. They may have come back for some later Winnie the Pooh movies or something, but they kind of moved on to other things after this movie. So the cast, we got Ava Gabor as Duchess the Cat. She's most famous for being in Green Acres, and she also is the voice of Bianca in The Rescuers. Also, uh, sister to Jaja Gabor. Indeed. Younger sister, I believe. Something. Who is that? Zsa uh, Zsa Gabor is uh, just one of those uh, kind of, I'm going to say Kardashian before Kardashian. Yeah, like she basically, fashion icon? Yeah, an icon. Like uh, like famous for being famous. The the, the They were uh, Hungarian um, women who were beautiful and were famous for that. <laughs> and they were in movies and television and such. <laughs> so Interesting. And back again is Phil Harris, who we just had as Baloo in The Jungle Book, and he does the voice of Abraham DeLacy, Giuseppe Casey, Thomas O'Malley, Cat. Can this guy do no wrong as he's, far as the voice actor? He's amazing. It's it's just like that I didn't realize the voice, in, in going over the cast of these types of things, I didn't realize the impact that these voices had on me. Yeah. Especially his voice. When I, I mean, I think about Baloo, and then I think about like the smooth swinging jazz cat like thomas o'malley i i mean like what uh like there's like a a swagger that i wanted as a child i wanted to be like that (laughs) well and he's little john in robin hood so that's right the trifecta back to back to back phil harris he's awesome why your eyes are like sapphires sparkling so bright they make the morning radiant and light how romantic and I think we talked about the last episode when we were talking about Jungle Book that they were reluctant to even bring him on board 
because he was a recognizable actor and performer and that wasn't a thing they did back then they didn't like bring in kevin hart yeah and and something else that's interesting i read is that uh basically walt disney before he died called up phil harris and was like hey i want you to do another one of these will you please do this and and that's where uh the thomas o'malley came from and and also another interesting thing that I haven't listened to Baloo and Thomas O'Malley back to back, so I really don't know like how close they are. But I, I apparently he was told to go a little more Clark Gable, like you know, real smooth, you know, suave. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I don't know if there's any discernible difference between his voice and Baloo's, but Baloo and Little John are definitely more similar. Yeah. Well, they're also they they are the same thing, just one <laughs> yeah. has an outfit. <laughs> Phil Harris is great. We can talk more about that character in a bit. Also back, a, a perennial Disney voice actor, Sterling Holloway. He's, he plays Roquefort, the house mouse. And he most well-known as the voice of Winnie the Pooh, which will be coming up in a couple weeks, but he's been throughout these movies. He was uh, Ka the Snake and the stork in Dumbo. He's amazing. Yeah, that the, the snake part really tripped me up when I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's the snake. Not a sign of them, Fru-Fru. And I've searched all night. And then uh, Pat Buttram is in this movie. He plays the, the bloodhound, Napoleon. You'll hear, you'll probably recognize him most as the Sheriff of sheriff of Nottingham, who will be next week. So The Aristocats premiered in October of 1970. It was released wi- widely on Christmas Eve of the same year and re-released in 1980, 1987 in typical Disney fashion. Through subsequent releases, it's made around $191 million. And when it was released, it was the top movie in Germany and in France. So there you go. There was a sequel in development at some point um, in the nine, er, in the uh, 2000s, but it was canceled by John Lasseter when he took over. But now John Lasseter is no more. So maybe, maybe it'll come back. Who knows? I'm not holding out hope. <laughs> David, uh, any fun facts about the Aristocats? Yeah, a few interesting ones for this movie. Um, first, Louis Armstrong was intended to voice the scat cat. He's the mm. blue cat with the trumpet, but he fell ill right before they were going to record the music. So they got somebody else. Scatman. Right? Scatman scat Carruthers. Yeah. <laughs> Scatman Carruthers. Here's a fun fact. Famous for being in the blood scene in The Shining. Really? Yeah. Scatman Carruthers. Yeah. Yeah. All right. um, a couple more. Edgar, the evil butler, is supposed to have a partner named Elvira, a maid of the house, but they got rid of her. Then they also considered in 2003 making a like syndicated show with the three kittens on Disney Channel, but they scrapped that as well. And also, I was trying to figure out if the Aristocats have any presence in the theme parks, and I could not think of anything. Apparently, they do like a meet and greet in, in Disneyland Paris, but that's about it. So, though, despite being Connor's favorite, I feel like this one's kind of a deep cut a little bit. I, I think it is a deep cut. And if I'm going to, I mean, if there is going to be a Disney movie about Paris, it's it's going to be Ratatouille, I would imagine. Yeah, which they are currently building a Ratatouille ride at Disney, in uh, France at Epcot. Any other fun facts before we uh, start diving in? I think I'm ready to go. It's Walt Disney's most cataclysmic comedy ever, The Aristocats. Meow. First, 
and we've kind of established this with you, Connor, but David and I can talk about this. Um, your preconceived notions before watching this movie uh, again this week. Seems like you've seen it quite a few times. So my preconceived notions. Yeah. I have a deep history with the Aristocats. I am... In fact, I brought it up to my dad today. I said I was going to be on a podcast talking about it. And he was like, that movie from the 60s? He's like, you guys watch that all the time. So growing up, when I was in elementary school, we got two cats, two beautiful black and whites, and uh, promptly named them Berlioz and Toulouse, the name of the two boys uh, in the Aristocats. And we called them Berkey and Tukey because (laughs) kids are not going to say Berlioz and Toulouse. And... I, I, I think, I guess I should have known then that when I referenced their names, no one knew what I was talking about. So that really should have spoken to the cultural relevance. Um, maybe we just had a random VHS of uh, Aristocats, and that's why we knew it so well. So, so those cats actually ended up being some of the best cats we ever had. Uh, we lo- I'm, and I'm not, I'm not actually making that up. They were phenomenal cats. And then by the time I got to college, I had this really funny roommate named Luke. Uh, he's a very talented photojournalist. But anyways, Luke is a funny guy, and we would uh, just dance around in our uh, dorm room singing Disney songs, uh, two of which of our, were our favorite is Everybody Wants to Be a Cat and then the uh, song from the Jungle Book with the orangutans, which I can't remember the name of right now. Uh, I Want to Be Like You. Yes. <laughs> so we would sing I Want to Be Like You and Everybody Wants to Be a Cat. So, um, you know. Uh, just two, you know, 19-year-old kids just looking for something to do in the world. All right. Well, well-versed in the Aristocats. David, had you seen this movie before? I do not believe so. I think I had seen the jazz scene on probably one of our, like, sing-along videos, but I had not seen this movie in its entirety for sure. Yeah, I do not think we had this one in the house like you. I definitely seen the Everybody Wants to Be a Cat once again, probably from the, the sing-along tape. So, Connor, you've watched it again this week or yesterday or very recently. Tell me your uh, your reaction upon watching it again. Does it still hold up? As I was watching it, more on the technical side, I found the character animation to be really good. Um, I thought that the way they handled the feline movement and uh, then the comic elements, you know, mostly with the butler, I thought was really well done. I I found myself really enjoying it just uh, out of nostalgia. Um, I mean, I literally took two pages of notes on this movie. um, (laughs) And most of them have to do with how charming Thomas O'Malley was. And all these just like, I wrote down just so many lines from this film like I could go through this scene by scene and just just start breaking this down. I don't even. Let's see if I could find the best one. Uh, I loved the one wheel haystack. The dogs. He, the dog is listening and his ear in the air. I'm getting. Yeah. I'm going all over the place. This is bothering me. <laughs> it's all right. Let's we let's can, be a little more linear here. Yeah, we can we can talk more about the plot in a sec. Dave, uh, new movie for you. What'd you think? I enjoyed the movie. Um, I think. I couldn't help but think back to 101 Dalmatians and how it was like... The same movie? Very similar, (laughs) only instead of London, it was Paris. Instead of dogs, it was cats. And I don't know. I I liked it as much as 101 Dalmatians, I think. Both of them had good aspects and some things that could be worked on. But, I mean, a lot of the this movie was pretty charming. Like, I liked the interaction of... The sibling cats, I thought, was, I like laughed a few times at them. And then O'Malley obviously was a, a pretty solid character and voice actor. Um, some of the 
kind of scenes that seemed like they could have been taken out and the movie wouldn't have been affected at all were with the two dogs and with like the geese or whatever those those birds were. So I don't know. It could, could have improved and cut out some scenes, I think, and it would have been better, but I liked it overall. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I didn't really know what to expect other than the couple scenes I'd seen in sing-along videos. Of course, when Thomas O'Malley came on and 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 that voice came out of him, that like bumped it up a notch because I was not expecting that. I only thought of him as a bear and not as a cat, but he was great as a cat as well. Let's be honest, he looks a little bit more like a cougar or like a some sort of like mountain lion. He's got a very muscular, light, like cougarish build. I, I don't see <laughs> alley cat on him. I, I couldn't help thinking that the whole time. I'm like, this is a this is a wild animal. Yeah. <laughs> but yet but yet so kind. I, I was actually I was sort of expecting him to be a little more devious. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. He does kind of have the glint in his eye. Um, I think one of my favorite lines about him is uh, is when that beautiful, just en- enchanting voice of Ava Gabor saying like, Oh, Mr. O'Malley, your, your, your names are from all over Europe. I'm Abraham DeLacy. Giuseppe Casey. Thomas O'Malley, O'Malley the alley cat, I've got that one. Let's break this down here. Abraham DeLacy, mm-hmm. Giuseppe Casey, Thomas O'Malley. So it's all, it's from everywhere. Abraham is what, Jewish? Yeah, I would <laughs> imagine. Yeah. DeLacy, not really sure. It could be It could be French, it could be Italian. Gi- Giuseppe it be, is very French. It seems, or Italian. Or Italian. Casey, I think like Casey at the back. English, Irish, I don't know. American. American. And O'Malley, we got uh, yeah. Irish, correct? Yeah. Abraham DeLacy, Giuseppe Casey, Thomas O'Malley. O'Malley the alley cat. And another name, the uh, Toulouse is named after, as an artist, Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec. Hmm. Famous paint, famous French, uh, impressionist, French, painter. French impressionist painter. Uh, he yeah. was four foot eight tall. <laughs> this is true. It's a very slight man, but he is a he has a bunch of famous paintings of like the famous salons in Paris. Hmm. And in fact, he's painted. Uh, he painted the famous Moulin Rouge uh, poster. I want to talk about the just general plot of this movie real quick. It's the one thing that if you think about it too much, like completely just ruins it. And what I mean by that is this, it's the story of a old woman who's very wealthy, whose lawyer comes over to write her will and Testament. And she decides to uh, give everything to her cats. Correct. That's generally the conceit of this movie. Naturally. And because the butler guy hears this, he thinks he should be getting the thing. So he decides he's going to kill the cats and or uh, drug them and, and, and get them out of the house. I think the thing we should really be talking about, honestly, is the fact that the butler heard this through a pipe. And that pipe has, <laughs> has ample amplification in order to hear a conversation multiple floors away. That may be like a real thing. I don't Pipe, know. Pipes you can talk through? I can't. I mean, I, I've, I've been to like a, you know, a kid's museum. Yeah. But 
But I, I, I think this, imagine if that pipe had some sort of crick in it. This movie would have never happened. I, I, started, I started doing a little research on if it's even possible to uh, will things to your pets. I'm sure it is. And I found a really fascinating case of this. All right, listen, listen to this. Leona Helmsley, billionaire businesswoman, died 2007. Her nickname is the Queen of Mean. She, she, she owned like some hotels. She owned the Empire State Building at one point. She and her husband and she inherited all this stuff. I think she had a big part of it as well. But anyway, when she died, she had a, a like a $4 billion estate, estate that's now valued at like $8 billion. And she left $12 million of it to her dog. So he could continue living in luxury. Yes, her dog, her Maltese dog named Trouble. The dog's name was Trouble. Um, though though uh, a judge subsequently lowered it to $2 million. <laughs> for, uh, for custom meals every day. And yeah, yeah. So, so, so Trouble lived in Florida with the general manager of the Helmsley Sandcastle Hotel. It sounds like the general manager of the Helmsley Sandcastle Hotel just got $2 million. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and a dog he has to buy $35 of food for every two months. Yeah, and they decided that $2 million would pay for the dog's, the dog's maintenance for more than 10 years. It was uh, It's $100,000 for full-time security, <laughs> $8,000 for grooming, and $1,200 for food, I guess, for the year. And the guy, this guy... The, the general manager uh, was also to be paid 60 grand a year as, as the guardianship fee. So that is awful. <laughs> 60 grand after all that? Well, I'm sure he gets to live in some massive house as well. What a ripoff. So, I don't know. I don't think I'd take that job. I'd take a dog getting paid an annual salary. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can guess, do something else. I guess if you think about, I guess if you think about dog sitting for sixty grand a year, and now that I think about that, that is a pretty good deal. Yeah, and and Helmsley, uh, her wishes were to have the dog interred with her in her mausoleum, but New York state law prohibits the interment of pets in human cemeteries, and so the dog was subsequently cremated. <laughs> as, <laughs> as as often those things go. So, oh man, what a tragedy! So this movie is realistic after all. Due due to my my research uh, this afternoon, yes, it does seem like this could possibly be be somewhat realistic. Man, I I'm not always the optimist, but I went into this just being like, you know what? Yep, that's right. These cats should get the inheritance. <laughs> well, and the guy was gonna get it eventually. I mean, yeah, this is what bothered me about that movie going in. If we're talking about plot, I mean, this is basically the opening of the movie. Disney movies like to get straight to the cut. Yep. Uh, which, thinking about an act structure, I'm kind of interested in where, how these all fill out. But, you know, so this guy overhears this conversation, and, and, and he started out, and I, I mean, I haven't seen this in, you know, 15, 20 years. I, I like him. Out the gate, like, oh, Edgar, he what a delightful butler, English butler with the big nose, you know, and then, uh, and then like the the, the suspenders with the old uh, with the old lawyer George, oh, that was wonderful, and then all of a sudden he turns evil. <laughs> I just, I, I was, I was, I was, I felt betrayed. Yeah, I don't know if we've had that in one of these movies yet. Typically, the villains are very cut and dry from the start, David. Yeah, <laughs> Cruella Deville. You just—I mean, you know she's bad from the start. Her name is Cruella Deville. That as well. Her her name is Devil. Yeah, every movie that has one villain is clear that they're the villain from the beginning. There's been a few movies that have had like a few different villains throughout, but 
Yeah, that makes this movie unique. I mean, yeah, what an innovative turn. Point <laughs> for Aristocats. I gotta say, Cruella DeVille, I thought, <clears throat> was a much stronger villain than Edgar. Like, Edgar, the I mean, he was obviously killing cats, which is bad, to get his, I was a master, <laughs> his employer's money, but... I don't know. Besides that, he like he seemed like a kind of a nice-ish guy. Well, he was an idiot. Yeah, I was gonna say it's and also like if you're gonna make a human fight a cat, you have to make the human kind of a kind of a adult because uh, not an adult but adult because <laughs> you can't you can't have a fully competent evil person. Apparently, he doesn't know that horses can hear. Or mice, or whoever who who hears it and spreads the word. Well, I mean, they speak English and French, so <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Look, Fru Fru, I've made the headlines. Mysterious catnapper abducts family of cats. <laughs> oh, aren't you proud of me? So he's the catnapper. I did enjoy a lot of those kind of side characters. I the mouse I thought was great. If I'm, if I can be honest, I was just enchanted by Duchess. The voice, man, got me. That I, I know it was supposed to be French, but she's Hungarian, mm-hmm. and oh man, like she was, like that is some grade A attractive cat animation. <laughs> they really did a good job. They had me, you know. I think I think Nala and Lion King is a little better. I, yeah, uh, I yeah, could that's see a close that. rival. That's a see. That's yeah. That's a good Instagram post right there. Nala v. Duchess. I don't know. I'm going Duchess every day. Those blue eyes with the with the gold collar with the diamonds on it. Please. <laughs> Bravo. Very good. You are a great talent. Well, thank you. And what might your name be? My name is Duchess. Duchess. Beautiful. Let's talk about the songs. Okay. So, so the first song is the... Can we play our near No, you're missing the first one, Dave. No, the intro song, baby. The intro song. What's the intro? The, that was a... I do like... I want you... We do need you to do that one more time. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, you, got, you, you got it once. That's okay. You don't get it again. <laughs> That's true. Um, we'll, keep, first, we'll keep it in there. But yeah, the first yeah. song is uh, is called The Aristocats. Which pet's address is the finest in Paris? Which pets possess the longest pedigree? Which pets get to sleep on velvet mats? I thought it was fantastic. The opening song. Yeah, and it's uh, a little French guy singing. Yeah, and it was like they brought him out of retirement for it. I, I looked that up. He's like a famous French singer. I found myself really enjoying the title. I haven't. It's been a while since I've seen a title sequence, you know? Most of the past movies, actually, I think all of them have had some sort of opening credits, and they're all kind of different and and uh, slightly different styles and always have a fun song, and they're... they're, they're uh, they're fun to watch. I'm curious when we when those stop because they will stop at some point. Yeah. Also, when will a Disney movie that we're watching not take place in Europe? Basically, <laughs> all of them have been European the past several. So you said arpeggios, scales and arpeggios, and then my favorite. What's a cookie always wrong? Oh, <laughs> we're not at that one yet. <laughs> but that is that is some racism. I feel like we need like a racism alarm or something every time we have to talk about one of these 
segments that's so obviously wrong it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting when those stop like just like the title sequence like i'm imagining treasure planet doesn't have a title sequence and it probably doesn't have a racist asian stereotype <laughs> i would hope so, so that was in the middle of everybody wants to be a cat correct yeah yeah yeah, yeah. When so they we cut skipped to ahead, the, the ahead siamese the looking cat similar very yeah. similar to let's, uh let's go back to the, the thomas the o'malley okay song. go yeah yeah we gotta we gotta go one at a time here <laughs> So Thomas O'Malley, I I mean, I was already swooning for Duchess at this point. And then he comes in doing his little blue strut as a as a little mountain lion. And I I, I mean, I just fell in love with him all over yep. again. Just the charm. Oh my gosh. I, I completely agree. And like I said, I was not expecting that voice out of him. Not only was the song good and charming, was the character very charming and handsome but to have phil harris coming out of that no baby uh, the, the trifecta right there baby yeah and like i said he wasn't he wasn't conniving he wasn't like after he wasn't out for his own good and i, I feel like the love story actually came quite naturally and wasn't like offensive or too quick yeah and and that that love story kind of takes us to the next um song almost perfectly because I think as they kind of journey there, let's we can skip over the the, the, the British geese twins. But <laughs> that that I mean, everybody that wants to be a cat, obviously, is just a, a just a delightful song. How that built and then the love scene, I mean, I was just, that was, it was just beautiful for me. I thought it worked out really well and really naturally and, and, and he, he remained true to his character. He still kind of had the charm while also saying, you know, I think these, I think these little kittens need a, need a man around. Yep. I think you're giving him a little too much credit. I think (laughs) at the, at his heart, he's just a gold digger. He saw that mansion. <laughs> oh. He he chose to leave at first, but then he came back. They shoved the butler and the <clears throat> chest and ship him off. But it was kind of an abrupt change from him not wanting to stay and to stay like in his alley cat ways, being free, to him being in the family portrait. I think that 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 money in that giant house is what ultimately attracted him to the to be their dad. This is a throwdown. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't really. I, I don't. I don't have a strong enough opinion on that. I like to think he has good intentions. No, I think. I think he does too. I. I think. I think he left because she told him to. But yeah, and, and that. I mean, everybody wants to be a cat. How much better can it get? I mean, that song was way too short. I think I think the old lady's lawyer is a little too happy at the end of the movie. They're like dancing around and stuff. I feel like he swindled her out of some of her fortune somehow. Man, who hurt you, David? <laughs> you are a sad sack looking out. You just did somebody take your cookie? No, I've I got it right here. <laughs> You're still holding on to it, baby. <laughs> and real quick, back to animation. I haven't brought this up yet specifically um, in these most recent episodes, but the one thing I have noticed, and we've talked about in back in 101 Dalmatians, I think is where this started. They, they changed the way they do the animation uh, in the early 60s. 
to this like they use like xerox machines and stuff to like help transfer their drawings to the cells and to help expedite some of the process and ever since 101 dalmatians i feel like the quality of the animation has not been as good david i don't know if you've noticed that if you go back to sleeping beauty which we talked about how um, how every frame of that movie you could hang on a wall ever since then i feel like they haven't been quite as crisp really as beautiful as some of the earlier ones yeah i mean i've kind of gotten used to it at this point but 101 dalmatians definitely like the backgrounds like lines are overlapping and going out of the shapes and it's just a little messier this one wasn't quite that that stylized but definitely has a some of that in the backgrounds at least so let's start let's start wrapping this episode up Connor, our guest's job is to is to come up with the rating system uh, specific to this movie. So it, it's all just kind of arbitrary. So how should we rate the Aristocats? Well, that is a great question. Um, I think we should rate it um, one claw up or, or claws up or claws down. How about that? <laughs> that is a twist in our system. I don't think I don't think David's gonna be able to handle that. No, it has to be convertible to a percentage. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's just uh, let's just do five paws. Okay, five paws. You know, I think I'll give it a four. Okay. Any yeah. closing thoughts? No, I, I I really enjoyed it. I think the songs basically you could not watch the movie and listen to the those the the first song, the Thomas O'Malley song, and the everybody wants to be a cat and be pretty happy. But I have a you know I have a four month old and I. I genuinely am looking forward to watching this with her in about three or four years. So great. Yeah. David five paws. I would give Aristocats 3.5 out of five paws. So kind of in the middle of the pack, the past few movies we've rated. I'm glad I watched it. It was entertaining. I liked, liked the music. I liked the kittens and I liked O'Malley. I didn't like some of the side characters, but that's all right. It was it was a good movie. So I'm trying to remember what I gave 101 Dalmatians because these are basically the same movie. <laughs> and I think I liked it equally. So uh, I'll say 3.8 because I don't remember what I gave Dalmatians. Uh, we did Dalmatians out of 101, so who knows. But uh, I really enjoyed it. And I, I, I really didn't know what to expect, having never seen it other than a couple of sequences. And whenever these ones come up that I haven't seen, I'm always like a little skeptical. Like, is this going to, am I going to like it? Because I don't have any nostalgia towards it. But uh, this had me from the beginning. I thought it was really fun conceit, fun plot, fun characters, fun surprises. So uh, what, did I, what did I say? 3.8? That's that's solid for me. So that's what I'll give the Aristocats. So with that, we will end this show. Connor, thanks so much for joining us today. Man, thanks for having me, guys. I legitimately... I think I was the perfect person to bring on for this film. I think I was ov- more overqualified Probably. than most people for any film, and it's one of the most random films. David, thank you for joining me again today. Why are you saying you're scared in your arpeggios? <laughs> there you go. Uh, don't forget, you can check us out everywhere on the internet at Disney1x1, and please write us a review on Apple Podcasts. That'd be great. We'll see you next week with Robin Hood. Say bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Disney One by One podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions, send us an email to Disney1x1 at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Disney1x1. 
and at Disney1x1.com. We'll be back next week with another exciting episode of the Disney One by One podcast. All right. Awesome. See you. I'm going to bed. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.